podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. It's time for another ETL Witcher Book Club. Hello, everyone. I am the Jaystrom, and this is my co-host, Ross. Hello, Ross. Hello, everyone. Ross Pawnee from the Bay Area. Good to have you guys along with us for this uh, incredible journey. Yes, because we are talking about the sixth book and the fourth novel in the Witcher saga, The Tower of Swallows. We're coming in home. Like we're 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 getting to the end of this thing pretty soon. Yes, we are. Uh, we've got one more book in the overall storyline, and then after that, we have a prequel. So we're going to wrap this up in the next big thick book. But first, we have to get through this book, The Tower of Swallows, or also known in some places as The Tower of the Swallow. What's the story with that? I don't know. It's just the Polish translation. I believe in Europe, it's called the Tower of the Swallow. And here in America, it's the Tower of Swallows. And Sounds good. I would almost say reading the book, it probably is the Tower of the Swallow. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I don't really <laughs> remember them referring to every, anything as the Tower of Swallows, but the Tower of the Swallow makes, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, but it's close enough, right? But, uh uh-huh. Can you believe this journey we've been on of The Witcher? It's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, like I've said in every single episode, and I'm sure people are getting sick of hearing it. it, it, The the story really did not turn out the way that I initially thought it was going to. I really like the story. I think it's awesome. But it's it's, um, such a departure from where I kind of had built things up in my mind. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like from those first stories of Geralt just battling monsters each story showing up having something to deal with and then leaving that's not what the overall story of the witcher is about it turned into something else and it's kind of crazy you know it, it is yeah it's it's not really at all about that i mean i i'm happy i'm not knocking the story at all i'm happy with the direction that it's gone into but it really um it's really almost kind of a uh, dysfunctional family story almost yeah. and I don't know. I think it's awesome. I do too. I love the characters. Absolutely love the characters. And uh, I just, you know, it's funny. We just want Geralt to find Siri, Yennefer to find Siri, and them all to be together. And obviously, we're going to have to wait a long time for that. <laughs> you know, we've <laughs> yeah, been definitely. waiting. They've all been through their own set of circumstances. And it's. I would say the last book, Baptism Fire, which we both loved very much. We didn't yes, very get much. a lot of Siri. All we got of Siri was 
what Geralt was having visions of, of her. And yes. we'd, we'd have a moment where, you know, he was trampled by a horse and then Siri woke up in the night dreaming of her friend being trampled by a horse. And now we get to see what's going on with her. And I got to say, as the book began and we meet Visigota, you know, cursing about the cold, he lives in a swamp and it's gotten very, very cold. Uh, <laughs> he sees uh, this black mare standing there neighing and there's he thinks it's a boy dead on the ground and he turns it over and it's a girl but she's breathing and it's Siri and she has this horrible gash in her face and we're just wondering what the hell happened and the book makes you wait a long time before you hear exactly what happened yeah it? it definitely does and what's funny is uh, I do want to talk about this you and I would love to talk about the Netflix series uh, yeah we will talk about it in a future episode but right now, I think it's important for us to stay on book, on point, and finish the book series. But I do want to talk to you about the Witcher Netflix series. But one complaint I heard of that from people is the time jumping that goes on there. But I got to say, it's like the books. The books, <laughs> the time true, jumps yeah. are all over the place in this book. And Andrei Sapkowski loves to do that. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, I remember everybody is, is kind of uh, upset about the time jumps in the show. And it's understandably so. They are confusing. But if that was what they were trying to capture on the show was like that level of confusion that we kind of had during the first book. Because I don't know if you remember this. I didn't realize that most of that stuff was taking place at Melitola's temple until after the second listen. You know, right. it, it was it was very confusing. I'm not necessarily sure that was... Uh, you know, we had to have that in the show, but um, you are correct in, in saying that he jumps around all over the place. Yeah, and you kind of—I'm kind of used to it by now, by this book. Yes, you know, definitely. I'm like going, "Oh, okay, I realize uh, what's going on here." What's funny in the book? I know you listen to the audiobook. In the book, as you're reading it, there's always an asterisk, and that's, uh, yeah, that asterisk. I know. Okay, we're changing location it'll be like visigota asking siri siri what happened can you please tell me she goes well i will tell you and then period sentence over asterisk and then oh, it'll okay. cut to siri rode into town and this is her telling the story and then asterisk and so that's what happened you know that's how yeah. the time jumps happen so in the netflix show they should have just showed a giant asterisk on the screen <laughs> yeah. well in the audiobook i wish it would have been like one of those uh audiobooks back in the day where you could read along and it would play that tone that when you were supposed to turn the page <laughs> that yeah. would be awesome if they gave us that i know i complained in the first book about the music that was in the background and it being overproduced maybe they could have just brought it back just a little bit to let me know uh that we were jumping around a bit yeah so we'll talk about the Netflix series, which I enjoyed very much another time. But oh yeah, definitely. in defense it of it, there's a lot of time jumping in the books. And that's all I wanted to say there. Agreed. And at the beginning of this book, uh, we get to learn about uh, the different seasons going on on the continent. And we keep hearing more about the wild hunt, don't we? Passing yeah. our head. And when they're around, it means the war's coming. War's been here for a while, but I like how the book kind of shows different people waking up in the middle of the night with nightmares. 
Yeah, it was it was nice because it was like we get to revisit all these people that we we knew in other stories, and so it was nice to say hi again, even though they were waking up from awful dreams. Yeah, and even I thought it was funny, uh, Philippa Eilhart. She wakes up in bed with some count's wife. <laughs> <You> know, she's <laughs> yeah. always sleeping with somebody different, but I thought that was a little funny thing there. But back yeah. to uh, Siri, uh, we know this horrible thing has happened to her. And I was riveted in all of this beginning chapter, trying to figure out what happened to her. And it's uh, Visigota, he's uh, journaling it as he's helping her, you know, writing down. And she has this horrible fever, and he's trying to figure out what roots to give her to that won't kill her, uh, you know, different medicines. And finally, he gives her something that he was afraid would kill her, but it's the only thing that helped her. So he hopes she's strong enough, and he gives it to her, and she wakes up. What was your uh, What was your first impression of him as a character? Oh, I loved him right away. I just kind of loved his. I, there's something about hermits or being all alone, and him just kind of talking to himself. I'm just kind of like on board with that <laughs> storytelling gotcha. wise. that says a lot about you jason uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i um the thing is with this book is this series i am so distrustful of everyone oh yeah. that when they were talking about him i was just like ah he's gonna turn out to be some like horrible mad scientist or whatever and she's gonna uh -huh. have to escape from him thankfully that's not the case but that you know he's got me so on edge with every character in this book you were worried he was a creeper just, right away yeah, exactly. I just kind of, uh, maybe I watch too much Law and Order. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is like when he's cleaning off her body, he notices she has a tattoo, uh, of a rose, I guess high up on her thigh. And then we learn more about that later. <laughs> but yeah, later on, Siri kind of says, how do you know about the tattoo? And she kind of accuses him of being a creeper and he tells her, no, 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 that's not what it is at all. You know, I was used to be a doctor. In fact, uh, he was a professor at Oxenfurt. And uh, the only reason uh, he wrote something that kind of uh, was anti-religious and that made him, he got fired and cast out. He could have been put to death. And that's where he went to stay in Nilfgaard. And he, I think it was 10 years he taught at the academy until he... Uh, he published a metaphysical mysticism, a book on metaphysical mysticism or something like that. And then he was exiled under the threat of death. And I was like, man, you really need to keep these thoughts to yourself. buddy." <laughs> yeah. It's not great for your career. I'll tell you that much. So he hid in a hut. He inherited a hut in Ebbing and then, uh, Nilfgaard annexed Ebbing. And all of a sudden it was part of Nilfgaard. And he was like trapped there because if he was found, he would be put to death. So he just stayed in his little tucked away uh, swamp. And poor Siri, when she awakens and, you know, she knows something is wrong with her face and she says, do you have a mirror? And he's like, no, I don't. And he's lying uh, until she finally sees the mirror. I felt very bad for her. Yeah, this this entire book is let's uh, feel very bad for Siri the whole time, basically. I also love that her horse's name is Kelpie. She's good at yeah, naming horses, awesome. isn't she? Yeah. Kelpie seemed like a pretty awesome horse, too. Yeah, we Way better more. than that lame Roach 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Uh, I like at one point she does try to leave. He's like, hey, I'm not keeping you here. And she goes out to her horse and she tries to lift the saddle, but she can't. And she just kind of defeatedly goes back to the hut and just like lays down. It's like, she realizes like if she's going to ever leave, it's not going to be for a long time. Yeah, she's in very, very bad shape. For for me, this book, it was kind of difficult to read in parts. You know what I'm saying? Right, it was yeah. like we go, we come off of the last book, which was so full of joy and fun and dandelion centric and everything. And we go into this book. This book, I, I like it. I think it's uh it's very necessary to the story, but it's such a downer, you know. And I think that might have been part of the reason why it took a little bit longer than the ex- than the other ones for me to get through it. Because listening to Siri go through all of this stuff, a character that we've kind of grown to love, you know, and, and seen her grow up and everything, go through all of this horrible stuff was not the most enjoyable experience in these uh, in this series for me. Right. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about, especially the chapter with Bonhart. When we meet Leo Bonhart, that was pretty difficult to read because we didn't know what he was going to do to her. And she's being abused and yeah. that was pretty difficult. The main problem I had at any time is because I've talked about the holidays happened while we were reading this book. And man, there was a time like a week went by when I didn't pick up the book. I was just too mm-hmm. busy doing stuff. And so when you set aside in the middle of a chapter like a week and you come back, you're like, okay, what what was happening here? <laughs> yeah, You're definitely. trying to remember. And we'll get to this later, but the hardest chapter I was on was the Dykstra chapter. Yeah. And when he goes to Covir, Covir, and I was just like, what is happening here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You really have to uh, have no distractions. You basically have to put some like white noise on in the background to drown everything out so you can make sure you get it. These books, we love the characters so much and we're so involved in what's going on. Sometimes when... It cuts to somebody else, and especially someone you don't have as much interest in. Sometimes that kind of, you're like, oh, man, when is this chapter ending? I don't care what's going on here. Uh, yeah, that yeah, that happens right. a lot. I don't even like Dykstra. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dykstra's fine and all, but I want to know what's going on with Siri or what's going on with Yennefer or uh, yeah. you know, with Geralt. Because a lot of interesting stuff happens with Geralt here. But first, okay, finally... Siri gets her stitches out, right? And mm-hmm. she decides to tell Visigota about uh, what happened to her. You know, first she accuses him of being a creeper, but then he explains what happened to him and why he lives there as a hermit. He's not a creepy old man. He just, this is kind of what ended up happening to him, having to stay there, or he would be put to death. So she tells her tale of Hot Spurn. Remember that guy? Yeah, He finds the rats at this house where they've taken over. They've locked the people in a closet or something. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, a tattoo artist is working on missile, putting a, uh, you know, giving her a nice rose tattoo. And, okay, first of all, the, the rats, they're a cocky bunch who are very bad influences on Siri. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she spends the time getting coked up and tattooed with them. They are not the best influence. Oh, on, yeah, first uh, of all, I forgot to take my line of fist tech before we started the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's this drug called fist tech that they're all snorting. You know, like, oh, yeah, good stuff or whatever. And I was like, what is going on here, man? Siri needs to get away from these people. 
and she seems to be pretty content. She has an interesting relationship with Missile, where they're there for each other, but also she wants her to keep her distance, like, ah, uh, stop touching me or get away from me, you know. And when Hotspurn tells them that they're being hunted, in fact, Bonhart, the famous bounty hunter, is after them. And they're all like, Bonhart, he killed the so-and-so gang, you know. And they even say something like, if you filled a graveyard with everyone that he's killed, it would fill a half acre. Uh You know, they're all cocky, like, well, he wouldn't be able to kill us, you know. Well, it's funny because up till this point, the rats have basically been invincible. You know, they are the, the, you know, nobody can touch them. And so I was totally underestimating Bonhart when they, they mentioned him. I was just expecting him to be yet another person that the rats went through. But boy, was I wrong. Yeah, what's funny is there are several times in the book where I'm wondering what's going to happen, but then I have to remember, oh, wait, Siri's okay now, and she's with Visigoda telling this story. Yeah. So I know she got away somehow, but obviously the rats are dead, so how did they die? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Something really bad happened to these people, and... Basically, Hotspurn tells them that uh, Nilfgaard, who, you know, they've attacked all these lands, they're offering amnesty for all of these criminals. Come confess your crimes, and basically, you join their army, right? You're basically, was it indentured servitude? You're part of their military, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. And so he's like, you guys could be absolved of all of your crimes if you just come turn yourself in, and everything's cool, you know? In fact, you could come work for me and I could be, you know, using you as uh... And so they kind of have the idea like, yeah, we could do that, but then we could just escape when we're ready to move on, you know? Mm -hmm. They think they have it all figured out. But everything is fine until Hotspurn starts talking about Nilfgaard and that the Amir, he's doing this as a political move because he's going to bury... Princess Cyrilla of Sintra and you know her ears kind of peer up like what? And she's like this is an imposter and she gets really mad and she starts talking smack and getting attitude and they're like pipe down there Falco what's your problem you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, she can't get over this that somebody is basically enjoying her title and going to get benefits but at the same time, she has to know that this is all a bunch of crap that she can't go turn herself in. Like, she's kind of at odds with what she wants to do. Yeah, she really is. It seems like she she is um, almost conflicted about what she should do because she wants to live up to the pride of her station, it seems. Right. But she also, I don't really think, has much interest in uh, allying herself with the people that basically killed her entire family, you know? Right. Hotspurn says, hey, I'll be staying uh, in an inn uh, a ways off, a couple miles down the road or whatever. If you guys wish to turn yourselves in, come and find me. So they're all, as soon as he leaves, they're all like, no, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go kill Bonhart. Yeah, let's go kill him. You know, nothing could stop the rats and stuff. And Ceres automatically knows she's not going to do that. She's going to go in the morning. She runs off to find Hotspurn, but not before Missile questions her. And she explains that she will return after she writes everything. So what do you think she's planning on doing? Do you think she's planning on going there to marry Amir? Or is she going there to, like, wreck shop in Nilfgaard? I don't really quite understand what her plan is. Or maybe she doesn't even know. 
I I don't think she's thinking things through here. I think she thinks she's going to go straight to Sintra and say, here I am. But then as she's riding for Hotspurn, uh, she's like, well, I can't really do that. There's no way I would make it there. They'll kill me because they... It serves them better to have a fake Siri than to have the real Siri kind of a thing. Yeah, definitely. And when well, she, she's going to be much more difficult to control too. Yeah, and when she arrives to Hotspurn, she's kind of like all angry and stuff, and he's like, "Well, look at you," and you. He, he's kind of smitten with her. Like, well, I should say he's kind of uh, in lust with her. He's kind <laughs> yeah, of comes yeah, on definitely strong. a little bit more than smitten. He's basically the creepy guy I was expecting Visigotha to be. Yes, and he goes, what is it you want to do in Sintra? She says, I want to ascend the throne. And he just kind of laughs like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's totally hitting on her, but she's like, I want his horse. <laughs> you know, she wants his horse so bad, which is Kelpie, the black mare. You know, he wants her, but she wants his horse. So yeah, she, she kind of flirts with him back a little, doesn't she? Oh, a little bit more than that, eventually. Well, bandits end up attacking, and they're trying to get away from him, and he gets hit in the back with a crossbow bolt. And they have no idea who these people are, but they hide in some bushes as their horses run off. And there's this cool bit where he has, like, this, uh, what, what do you call it? Like, a magical bracelet, but it's enchanted, where if he rubs it, his horse returns to him. We'll find him no matter where he is. That's awesome. I thought that was a really cool thing there. As he's laying there and he thinks he's dying, like his legs are going cold, he tells her that the reason he told the rats about Bonhart wasn't really to warn them, but it was to entice them to go right into his trap, to go find him, to challenge him to a fight. And he knew that they couldn't resist going after him. And she like knows she has to warn them, but he's like, oh, kiss me, Siri. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he really gets into it in this, uh, you know, last dying moments. And she's just, she goes ahead and gives into curiosity and stuff. And then he's like cold and she realizes that he just <laughs> so died. creepy. Yeah. And she basically has to stay with him there till morning because she's afraid the writers will come back. She, t you know, removes his magical bracelet and she takes it for herself and calls the horse. Who cares about her horse, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Not as impressive. Mm-mm. No Kelpie. So the rats arrive in jealousy, and they demand that Bonhart come out of the inn that he's in. And of course, he comes out. And what did you think of uh, the voice that Peter Kenny did? Oh, it was Bonhart? great. His Bonhart voice was so ominous and, like, you know, terrifying, basically. It was really good. Yeah, and they're talking all sorts of smack, like, uh, come on out here if you're not afraid. And, you know, he comes right out there funny i was thinking about this because bonhart is like uh he sounds eastern european you know which um sounds kind of uh scary but i'm wondering if in like poland you know if uh he's got an american accent in that audiobook you know what i'm saying yeah it's funny because my voice i had for him in his head was probably like deep and gravelly and it wasn't even with an accent. And then I listened oh, really? to that part of the audiobook and i'm like oh okay that's another way to go with it i guess <laughs> mm -hmm. But I wish they had crossbows or something. What were they thinking not having any uh, ranged weapons? <laughs> they just totally underestimated this guy. I mean, they basically walked through everybody else that they've, they've faced. And so they weren't, were not expecting somebody of this, uh, this guy's caliber of uh, fighter. 
Yeah, and there's six of them, and I think three of them at first are charging him right away, and he just parries them all and just cuts them, disembowels them, cuts them from neck to uh, to thigh and stuff like that, and they're all like on the ground writhing and like crawling. And it's, it's it's not even a battle, you know what I'm saying? Like they, yeah. he dispatches the rats so quickly that you would expect more from them from how ferocious their reputation is, but he just. It walks right through all of them. And M- Missile is the last one alive, and she doesn't back down. She charges right at him, and, uh, you know, he cuts her down, and she's not quite dead as Siri rides up. And she's like, Missile! He executes her right in front of Siri. This part was tense where Siri uh, fights Bonhart, because we know Siri is a much better fighter than any of the rats, so we know she's going to hold her own, right? Yeah. Do you think when in the show, when, when Missile dies, they'll do that sweet pullback, zoom in Jaws thing, you know, as she's dying? They <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Is that what you imagine in your head? As you're- yeah, in my, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, no. And I think happens. they could do a lot to improve the Siri and Missile relationship in the show. You think so? Because we don't get a lot of detail there. At first, it's kind of creepy in the last book how... Uh, well, yeah, she's she kind of flip flops around in in her feelings for her. I mean, as you would think a you know a teenager would, but yeah. towards the well, it's it's interesting because back when we um, when she's breaking up with Missile, Missile's kind of like, "Wow, you're actually being nice to me," you know, yeah. when she when she leaves. So I guess she did care for her. I think it's nice having someone when you need somebody, but when you don't, just stay away, please. Stay away from me, yeah. Exactly. Because we know Siri, she's got complicated things going on in her head, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But they have an intense fight, and I think it even describes, like, the the townsfolk just see blurs in the rain, you know, with clanging from their swords. And she tries to remember this move that Lambert taught her. She performs a half pirouette, and Bonhart just clunks her in the head and knocks her down. He decides he doesn't want to kill her, that she's showing, she's impressed him with her skills. And then he ties her to a post and uh, saws off the rat's heads in front of her. <laughs> yeah, and makes the, the villagers basically keep her eyes open the entire time. Yeah, hold so her eyes open watch as I do this. He's a real messed up dude. Yeah, he's a real jerk. Um, I was, yeah, that the whole sawing off the heads, that's a new one for me. I'd never really heard of that one before. Yeah. That, um, I would think I was like, going he's on. basically like, somebody go fetch me a saw. And I was yeah. like, oh, no. And basically, he's staying in this town where everyone is terrified of him. He's just bossing everyone around who lives there. Well, wouldn't you be? Yeah, I, I'd be pretty scared. But again, like a crossbow, just shoot him in the back of the head or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no one with a crossbow. I love how these chapters or these moments end, and with Siri telling Visigoda things like, if you were to see uh, witness them, it would be from outside. You'd see two people talking over candlelight. Yeah, that whole small. thing had me on edge every time I, I saw it, because I was expecting somebody to actually be there eventually yeah if you were there in the swamp looking through the window you'd see two people sitting near candlelight talking but there was no one there and i was like when will there be someone there (laughs) exactly that's exactly what i thought too um now we cut to dandelion and i love this stuff because it's him narrating because it's his memoirs as he's talking and i love his bit about 
Geralt has become quite arrogant since his knighthood. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much of that is true. I thought it was really funny. And, uh, you know, as we last left off, uh, Geralt was knighted by Maeve, but she plans on going in a different direction than they need to go. And he asks for her permission to leave, but she denies it. So they all sneak away, and now he's a deserter. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was funny how quickly the whole knighthood thing uh, kind of evaporated. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I agree. I love how they were were like, uh, basically, they relieved the the war effort of one donkey. Yeah, and I love that they were there with that army because it served them. But now that they're going in the different direction, they're like, okay, this serves us no... No more. Let's leave. Yeah, and didn't they say that they like grabbed way too much stuff? But that's apparently what happens when you're stealing in the dark. Yeah, I love that stuff. I love that group. Just Geralt, Nova, Kay here, and we also get a quick. What's funny is the way these books happen is we'll get a quick aside with Tris Marigold, and she's in an inn. A woman's telling her of they caught this witch in the nets. She had raven black hair. And uh, we know they're talking about Yennefer. And she took her own life uh, being imprisoned or something. And as we're reading that, we're like, oh, that's not true. Come on. <laughs> yeah. What if that's actually how Yennefer died? We just hear it from some lady in the town. Yeah. I, th- I wrote here, the events on Thaned happened two months earlier. Lots of BS about Yennefer that we don't believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So back to Dandelion. He's writing about his companions. And... Uh, Geralt is, uh, you know, Kay here has proven himself when he fought the Nilfgaards on the bridge with Geralt, but Geralt still doesn't trust him. And Kay here's getting pretty sick of this. Like, come on, dude, what more do I have to do? And he can't get past the fact that Siri was so haunted by him when she was younger and you know, she'd wake uh-huh. up in the middle of the night screaming. I forgot, what is Dandelion's original name for his book? It's like. Was it uh, 50 years of poetry? Yeah. And Regis says, what about half a century? And he's like, ooh, I like that better. <laughs> yeah. I lo- there's this I, bit. I love, the, I love the idea that he's writing it. For, like, he's not 50 years old. He's like yeah. in his 30s. But he's writing it, you know, for the future in mind. And Geralt's laughing. He's like, you're 30 years old. Why are you writing it now? And he goes, when I'm 50, I won't have my wits about me. <laughs> so it's yeah. better to write it now. And. There's a part where Milva's talking about her father and how her father used to beat her until finally she, I forget what she did. She took a chair or something and beat him half to death. And mm-hmm. she looks over and Dandelion's writing everything down. She goes, hey, stop writing that. <laughs> He's like, ooh, this is good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, we also get a scene with Valtier in a meeting with the Emir Var Emris. And he's super pissed that it doesn't matter how big his army is. Nobody can find Siri. Nobody can find Vilgaforts. Nobody can find Rience. And nobody can find Kay here. And he's like, what the hell am I paying you people for? Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, he's talking about the amount of money they spend on the budget. For yeah. Them. And basically, he's got no uh, results from any of this. And so as Valtier's leaving out of, after getting an ass reaming by the boss, 
He's approached by a projection of Rience, who proposes a deal that he will deliver. He knows where Cahir is. He will deliver his head in exchange for the whereabouts of Stefan Skellen and what he's planning. And there's this bit here where Vautier relaxes with his mistress, Cantarella. And he talks about how she's she's beautiful, but she's a total airhead. But we learn that she's oh, actually yeah, yeah. she's a spy for uh, the sorceress. What is her name? A seer? A seer? A, a Siri, I think. I could be wrong. That's one of the ones that escapes me. So she's a, so he's sleeping with a spy, which I think is hilarious. He has no idea. Yeah, and he's just like spilling his guts about the whole thing. I love that idea. <laughs> it is funny. In the time of war, like you can't trust anybody. So Geralt and the gang, or should I say his Hansa, as we learn later. <laughs> yes. That term, they meet a beekeeper and they ask about uh, where they can find druids. And he's like, oh, the druids, they up and left. And they're like, every time they arrive somewhere, they find out that the druids aren't there anymore. Yeah. And I love how he talks about the druids aren't really nice. They'll put you in a wicker cage and burn you alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It made me think of the wicker man. The wicker Nicholas man. Cage. Yeah, definitely. You know, how to get Wait, which, 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 Oh, the Nick Cage Wicker Man. Okay, I was going to ask you, yep. which Wicker Man did it make you think of? Yeah, how to get burned, how to get burned. <laughs> yeah. Later on, uh, Nightingale, he'll be asking that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Druids aren't nice. They'll burn you alive in a wicker basket. And uh, But he tells them that they're at the slopes of the Amel Mountains. And uh, Geralt is pissed. And, and Geralt's like, okay, fine. And the group actually offers them a job for their migration south that, uh, like, hey, we'll feed you three meals a day and all you got to do is protect us. And he's like, okay. And apparently it's really foggy there in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. Now here's a part where it was kind of confusing to me, but I understand it more now that I finished the book. And that is this trial with Joanna Selborne or Kenna. She's testifying uh, yeah. about her part in Stefan Skellen's actions uh, for their hunt for Siri. And when I was reading this, I was like, what is going on here? Why? <laughs> yeah. What is this yeah, court was, trial? Yeah, that was a, a little bit difficult for me as well. Were you wondering what the hell was going on and why we were... Yeah, I just wasn't wasn't quite sure. I mean, we, um, like I said, anytime they, there's so many characters in these books that anytime we get introduced to somebody a little bit new, I just... I, uh, it takes a little bit more for me to kind of let it sink in. So much of this story is after the fact. I believe... Yeah, it is. I was going to ask you about that. Like, the telling of this, it, it almost seems like it's told through other people's perspective of what exactly. had happened before. Siri is telling Visigoda what happened to her. Joanna Selborne, she's telling the court what happened to her from her point of view. And then when we cut to Geralt, it's from uh, Dandelion's point of view. And I almost feel like he's writing about it as it's happening. So is it happening right now? Or we're just. Yeah, I, I was kind of. It was, it was an interesting choice uh, that uh, Subkoski made in. I guess we, none of that had ever happened in any of the other books. And I guess I'm just, I mean, it's not that it hadn't happened at all in any of the other books, but no single book was told basically from the point of view of, of the past. And so I was kind of wondering what that was all about. I mean, even at one point 
we jump way ahead in the future. Oh, yeah. Are you talking about when they find the old manuscripts in a cave? Yes. Next to two Which is skeletons? interesting that, that he did that. I mean, I, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah. that whole point, it's like, well, you know, we know that there's this giant calamity that's supposed to happen that's going to change everything, but we do know that eventually things kind of right themselves. And, yeah, uh, yeah you know interesting. What I- I just remembered, was it in uh, the last book, Baptism of Fire? There's a part where it cuts to a storyteller in a village telling a bunch of children the story of the Witcher and the Princess Cirilla. And he's telling the story of Geralt, basically. And we don't know what time period it is, but we do know he's talking about long ago. And it just happens for this this little... uh, moment a couple of paragraphs and then it cuts back to the story and i'm like what the hell was that <laughs> yeah exactly well we like i said we get kind of the same thing with the people finding the manuscript that you're just like well wait a minute what you know is is there something else going on in this story that we're just kind of not picking up on that's kind yeah. of what i was wondering well another thing is like in the previous books we've seen dandelion half a century of poetry before chapters like it's been referenced before so this book has been written like between every chapter there's a little bit of writing by some encyclopedia or something some book of poetry yeah it's a quote yeah it's a quote so it's like uh this is all everything we're reading happened long ago of course we understand Mm -hmm. that but it's interesting how even in the stories we're reading it's being told by to us by somebody else and I'm thinking, okay, Siri and Visigota, that's happening right now. And she's telling it. That's yeah. what I think. I think she's the only person that's in the present in the entire book, maybe. Everything else we're hearing about happened already. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, when they do this on the show, there will be much wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> I can just see it. Yeah. What's funny is like people are like, will the next season be like that? I'm like, this shit happens through all the books, people. <laughs> just get time. used to yeah. it. And it's not that confusing, honestly. It's really not. But I, if you had no, um, if you had no prior knowledge of this whole thing, I, I could see how you would be definitely be confused. Right. So for us, uh, it's easier because we have so much. You know, we're kind of knee deep in Witcher. Um, that for us, it's it's you know easy to follow. But yeah, yeah. If, if it was your first experience with the the books, I could or with the the entire universe, I could see how you'd be confused. In that first episode of The Witcher, it was you know we've been reading the books, so I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Okay, you know, yeah. But anyone else who's never read anything, they're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are there so many blonde women <laughs> that <laughs> so, look kind of the same? Yeah. Also, it's a little Stefan Skellen. Also known as Tawny Owl. Give the dude one name because it's confusing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Joanna Selborne or Kenna. No, just give us one name. <laughs> yeah. But she t- she's telling the story of basically she was hired by Stefan Skellen because they heard that Leon- Leo Bonhart had killed the rats, but he didn't kill the one called Falca like he was supposed to. So Skellen put together a posse to go find Bonhart. That's basically what we learned there. And we'll learn more yes. about that later. Siri tells Visigoda that Bonhart made her disrobe in front of everyone to check to see if she had any more weapons or magically enhanced, you know, jewelry or something. He beat her and he put a leash on her. 
And at that point, she went into her strange melancholy state like she did in the time of contempt where, uh, remember when the Nilf guardians found her in the desert, she kind of mm-hmm. just wasn't herself anymore. It's after she renounced Falka's power. She kind of went to the shell of her state and she was like, I'm not here. Nothing can hurt me is what she's telling herself, which is basically what people do in real life. You kind of withdraw into yourself when you're in some kind of trauma mm-hmm. and it's really sad. Uh, I just hope Bonhart gets killed in a horrible way. Uh, that's all I'll say. Yeah, exactly. Well, Stefan Skellen also had a similar deal with a Baron, and that Baron's men show up because they want to take Falka from Bonhart. And Bonhart's like, no, nope, I think I'll be keeping her. And they're pissed. It's only four guys, and even one guy, he's got a crossbow. And Siri's like, why doesn't he grab his crossbow and shoot Bonhart? And she realizes that they're all terrified of him. They're not going to attack him because they're all terrified of him. And she has to admit to herself, I'm terrified of him, too. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And they kind of threaten him. They're like, well, we actually have 14 guys. You know, we could show up here again. And he's like, you know, you can all meet me uh, later on and then you can take her. And they're like, oh, okay. I think it's like Claremont or something like that. So there's this interesting part where he takes Siri to a blacksmith. And they lay out a bunch of swords. Like, he sent a message ahead that he was coming there and he wanted to buy a sword. And I thought this part was cool. Like, the blacksmith has his own kind of, like, guards there. Like, armed guards. If anybody acts up, they'll come out and they'll, you know, kill him. So, even, like, uh, Bonhart's not going to do anything much, I guess. And he- Yeah, but he's still afraid of Bonhart enough to not help Siri. Yeah, which it seems like he definitely wants to. Well, he kind of talks about it. He goes, why is this girl on a leash? And he's like, that's none of your business. And he goes, no, it is. You're in my establishment. Take that leash off of her right now. And Bonhart reluctantly does. But after he kind of like grabs her and yanks her like really hard and mm-hmm. he like takes off the, the thing. And then as they're looking at different swords, he's like, here, let's try this one out here. Kill me. And Siri like tries to kill him. Uh, killer and he you know disarms her quickly and he kind of just laughs and he's like this is no good it's not the proper weight so the blacksmith whose name i can't remember and i didn't write down for some reason (laughs) yeah i don't remember it he takes out a gnome crafted sword it's a light 250 year old blade with an engraving of a tower and a swallow and i was thinking because of the name of the book i was like i think that's the one (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a very good clue jason And the swallow is a symbol for hope. It's a priceless sword. And uh, Siri, you know, it's a perfect, perfect for her body weight and everything. And the blacksmith, he gifts it to her. Well, I'm just wondering how he came about it. I don't know. I mean, I just years of weapons coming through here. Here's the thing, though. I think he gave it to her. Because he knew it was her destiny to eventually cut down Bonhart with his blade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She may not be able to do it now, but she is going to kill him. And I know, like, part of me fantasizes about Geralt cutting him down to size, but I think it's Siri who needs to kill Bonhart. Yeah, I think she's earned that. I mean, in my head, I was thinking, you know, that that's what's going to happen, too, is Geralt's going to kill him. Because I like Geralt so much, and I wanted him to have... A- you know, all the awesome battles, but I think definitely she's earned killing him. Yeah, and besting him, too. Just being a better swordsman than he is. 
So he takes her to this mansion with a bunch of rich assholes is the best way I can describe it. Oh, man. The lady was so creepy. Oh, I know. They're, like, sizing up Siri, and she even, like, doesn't she, like, manhandle her or grab her? Basically, yeah. Well, then she starts talking about how she'd like to uh, do things with her with her husband, but her husband has, like, genital warts, so he has to go easy or something. I'm like, oh, man. It's like, whoa, whoa, TMI, lady. Yeah. And they force her to take uh, some fist tech, but Siri... Uh, says it's like way more potent than any she's ever had with the rats. It's like, whoa, dude, this is some strong stuff, man. Yeah, this is how the rich get their fish stick. She's basically tripping balls, right? Yeah. They take her to an amphitheater where it's basically a pit where they watch people fight. Mm-hmm. And did they say that they don't, it's not just humans fighting humans, but they'll fight like creatures and stuff too, right? Yeah. And or wolves. Well, they, they keep might... talking about about his dogs. How they were going to release his dogs into the ring, and they'll take care of everything if the people decide not to fight. Right. So these people are, you know, really terrible. Yeah. That same Baron's men arrive. Did, did you get total Lionheart vibes from? Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking at, at like all. a gladiatorial pit kind of thing. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And those Baron's men arrive, and they want Falca, but Bonhart he basically taunts them like hey go get her she's down there and he throws her sword and it sticks in the sand i think one guy's name is embra he's like hey uh, what are you afraid of a little girl or whatever so he i think four guys or one guy goes down there first he goes like it's just a girl i'll go get her and he hops down well, there. They, and they start they start uh they raise like the reward on who can go get her what was the name of the guy who was running this whole thing do you remember his name i can't remember He's a count, right? Count or yeah, and he uh, he's basically goading everybody and telling them, "Hey, if you can get her, I will uh, raise the amount of money that that one person gets if they can defeat her." And so they're like, "Well, it's just a girl; we could take her on." Yeah, and they're even like, they want their fair share of the payment. Like, hey, we need to get some of that cut too. So they go down there, and she's just like warning them. Like she says, "No one will touch me." Mm-hmm. And she uh, defeats the men, and she can even kill one guy, but she resists doing it. And Barnhart's like, she could have killed him if she wanted to. And uh, she goes on the offensive. She guts one, slashes one in the face, and the crowd is cheering. And uh, that guy, Embra, he even says, can we at least remove our wounded? (laughs) Yeah. And he tells Siri that this is all you'll be, their amusement. And she realizes that he's right, so she takes her blade and she acts like she's going to kill herself for a second. Uh-huh. And Bonhart, she's like, she won't do it, and she doesn't do it. But he calls her a witcher girl at that point. He realizes she fights like a witcher. He knows who she is. Yeah, he, he has so much knowledge about sword fighting that he, you know, even to the point when she was getting outfitted for her sword, he knew the exact amount of weight that it was... Uh, that it needed to be in order to fit her properly. And so, yeah, he, he, he definitely knows something's up with her the way she's been trained. When Geralt and uh, his hands uh, ri- arrive in Reedburn, uh, Milva and Regis go for supplies, but Geralt and Dandelion are approached uh, as they're searching for druids, asking people. And this prefect wants to talk to Geralt. And that's where he goes into this room and he's being interrogated. 
And I thought this part was pretty messed up because he brings in... This part really messes you up as you're reading it. It does, definitely. It was kind of a dirty trick, almost. Yeah, in walks Siri, and Geralt can't believe his eyes. And you're like, what? Those people who caught her, now they're right there where Geralt is? But it's not. He just thinks he sees her for a moment. His mind is playing tricks on him. And how do you say this character's name? How did they say it in the book? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, uh, it looks like um, Anguillem. A- Anguillem, that's what it was, yeah. Okay. He brings Anguilem. in Anguillem, and she's kind of a s- sassy, and he keeps smacking her in the face, and Geralt's like, please stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Please stop hitting her, because all he sees is Siri when he looks at her. And she's uh, she's hilarious the way she talks and everything, but they're going to put her to death for being in this gang and everything that they run there in this place is by example. So if you, you're a gang, you commit a crime, they kill you in front of everybody. So it'll deter other people from doing it. They hang you, right? Yeah. I I just loved her whole attitude the whole time, you know, and, and I love how they were like, well, she's still going to die. We're just going to not torture her. If she, if she lets us know. I also love how she calls Milva auntie. (laughs) Yeah. And uncle. Is that how they were saying? Yeah, it, how uncle it was and auntie, and she's like, "Stop calling me that." <laughs> At one point, she smacks her and makes Anguillem start crying, and then finally she caresses her. She's like, "I'm sorry." She falls back. Yeah. Because well, I love how she she eventually is like, uh, you know, um, Milva tries to tell her to do something and she won't do it. She's like, "Well, Geralt's the only one who uh, who can order me around because he's the one who actually saved me." Right. She feels uh, like uh, this closeness to Geralt because basically he says that Anguillam, uh, she came there and she has some information, which is her gang, this guy named Nightingale, has been hired to find the Witcher and kill him. And uh, aren't you interested in that, Geralt? And he's like, well, yeah, I am. Uh, so the prefect doesn't want this element there. So he wants Geralt to find Nightingale and kill him. And he says, yeah, I'll do it. But I want the girl too, Anguillem. And he's like, fine. So he takes her. He goes and he talks to them, uh, uh, Regis, about who could be setting these traps. Who's guilty of uh, hiring someone to kill Geralt? And the first thing is he's like, Maeve? Because she's pissed you're a deserter? No, she probably doesn't even know or she doesn't have time to deal with that right now. Dykstra? No, Dykstra would want to do something like that himself. He wouldn't hire someone to kill him. So they decide to go after Nightingale because he wants to know who hired him. I think at that point I'm like, it's Vilgefortz. It's Vilgefortz. It's Vilgefortz. Why don't you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so obvious. Cahir, Dandelion, and Enrigus will go to Toussaint. And Geralt uh, accuses uh, Cahir of being a traitor. He doesn't want him to go with them. And they get in this great fight where they're, like, punching each other. And this whole time, Geralt's knee has been bothering him for several books now. (laughs) (laughs) Ever since the fight on Thaned with Vilgefortz, his knee has not been the same. And Cahir gets the best of him. And finally, Milva gets tired of seeing this. And she takes a belt and she just starts slapping... (laughs) <laughs> whapping yeah. them with the belt. And I think at that point, Anguillem says something about, you know, calls her auntie, and she smacks her with it. <laughs> smacking her with the belt, yeah. Finally, Geralt apologizes to Cahir. 
Nightingale said that there's a Witcher. He's traveling with four. And Geralt realizes, wait, I'm traveling with five. Why did he think four? And Regis says, well, I'm a higher vampire. I can't be detected by magic. So Uh it's a mage spying on them. Yeah. And Geralt makes me mad here. Yeah, he immediately jumps to Yennefer. Yeah, he's like, oh, Yennefer, he's wor- she's working with Vilgefortz. I'm, I can't believe she would do that. And I'm like, you asshole, no, she's not. <laughs> yeah, no. he just immediately jumped. I mean, what was his reasoning again? I, f- I forgot his reasoning. Was it because he needed to, they needed to know him very well or know the party in order for her to detect it? I forget what that was. I don't know. I The reason I think he believes is, I think Dykstra put this in his head on Thaned, where he was like, I know it's fine, Yennefer. And he goes, oh, if you don't think she's in on this, you're crazy, man. And yeah. I think that's been in his head ever since. But Yennefer is an innocent party. She was shrunk down to a tiny statue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as soon as she found out Siri was in danger, she escaped and has been looking for her ever since. But everyone thinks that... She in, is working with Vilgefortz, and she's not. So I just want to slap Geralt for that. Now, what's interesting is Siri tells Visigoda that she dreamt about this whole conversation, and she badly wants to tell Geralt that he's wrong about blaming Yennefer. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, yeah, right, Siri? You know, like... It's such a dumb uh, idea he's got in his head that even Siri senses it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this the point where he thinks that Siri's dead? Yeah, he does think she's pretty much dead by now. Yeah, I, I loved his whole speech about how, like, you know, what they were going to do is basically rain vengeance upon everybody. Yeah, there's this... I, I want to mention this now just because I'll forget it later, where Jennifer is talking about someone brings up Geralt to Yennefer and she goes oh please he's useless he wanders from one place to the next he gets dragged into little ordeals and he loses yeah. focus of what he was why he's he was there in the first place. he's not gonna help her yeah he gets sidetracked and I was just like oh my god she's totally right <laughs> <laughs> exactly he's a total badass but yeah he does he is prone to distraction he gets distracted everywhere he goes so Geralt Cahir and Anguilhem find this dwarf draws deck he's working in a, a mine right Mm-hmm. And she asks about this half-elf, and, you know, he's like, oh, you shouldn't be here. You know, he wants to kill you or whatever. And Geralt kind of roughs him up a bit. And, yeah, he's, uh, he's surprised to see Anguilhem because he expected her basically to be dead. Right. And when they, they show up to the Rialto pit and these uh, men immediately recognize Anguilhem. And she's like, take us to Nightingale. We've killed the Witcher. And they're like, oh, really? And finally... They, they're acting kind of sketchy, so they all they kill them all. And that's when this tall half-elf approaches them. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I heard you killed the Witcher. Uh, come with me. And uh, Yeah, I, I loved how he basically, uh, you know, wanted proof. And so Geralt gave him his medallion. Yeah. I'm like, no, don't give it to that guy. This isn't yeah. going to end well. By the way, he never gives gets his medallion back. No, he doesn't. It's awful. The half-elf grabs Anguilim and they have a standoff. Knights arrive and Geralt's like, oh, we got, you know, help here. Distraction. But no, frog-faced Nightingale. That's how they describe him. He looks like a (laughs) frog. The half-elf is Shiru. 
Nightingale is a frog face dude. And he wants to make an example out of Anglem. Doesn't everybody want to make an example out of her? The prefect (laughs) does, and now these guys. So the half-elf Shearer says, actually, I know you, Witcher, or you know me. And he's like, well, what are you on about? And he's like, Code Ringer and Fen, I was the one who killed them. And I was like, you bastard! (laughs) I like them. I loved Code Ringer. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I forgot about that. So luckily, some explosions happen, and some freedom fighters are attacking. And arrows are hitting the soldiers. Anguilem kills her captors with a knife. Geralt grabs a sword, starts killing Nightingale's men. But Kay here, he gets hit in the head with a hatchet, and it describes him as being scalped, where you see his hair flapping on the side of his head. Yeah, that was very gross. That's not good. Geralt is kind of in a rage, and he just wants to find Shiru and kill him. But uh, explosion, more explosions happen, and he kind of snaps him out of it, and they get away. They're, they decide to ride for Toussaint. And Geralt's horse dies of exhaustion, because they've been riding so <laughs> Yeah, hard. he's got to carry both of them, right? Yeah, so he says, I'll stay here with Kay here, and we'll hide, and you go warn Dandelion. And ride ahead, tell them everything that's happened. So... Uh, Kahir and Geralt walk until Kahir can anymore. Geralt carries Kahir until his knees uh, killing him, and then they they hide in a cave. And this is where they totally bro down, right? Yeah, he's just like he realizes that he does like Kahir. Yeah, and then they kind of make amends in this time, which is nice because the guy's got half of the skin on his uh, scalp flapped over. So it's good that you're not, you know. That you're and taking I, care of him now. I understand where Kay here is coming from. He's like, dude, how do I prove myself to you, man? Yeah. And so he kind of mentions, he talks about it more later, but he talks that, about him having a connection to Siri that he has visions of her. And uh, Yeah, and Geralt's kind of like, uh, what? Yeah, like, what? what? So they, the next day, it's daytime, and uh, they catch some fish. And Cahir tells Geralt that when he was a young officer, he was just trying to prove himself. And he says he had a small squad, and his only mission was to retrieve Ciri from Sintra. When he found her, he took her out of the city, but he had reservations about taking her to Nilfgaard, like harming this young girl. He didn't know what the intentions were, what they were going to do with her. He truly meant her no harm. He passed out from exhaustion, and when he woke up, she was gone. When Nilfgaard found out he failed his mission, he was imprisoned. Then a year later, Emir uh, let him go with the mission of going to Thaned to retrieve Ciri. And then we know what happened there. I'm just kind of wondering what they are going to do in the show about that, because he definitely seems very evil in the show compared to how he's described in this um yeah. In this section. There's a very cult-like religious thing going on with the Nilf Guardians in the show that we have not seen in the books. Yeah, not really. It's uh, kind of mentioned a little bit, I think, but yeah. uh, nothing quite played up so much. Yeah, and I can understand that because a lot of what happens in the books happens uh, in the distance. Like, the Nilfgaard stuff, there's a lot you could just fill in because we don't see it happen. Yeah. You know, their motivations and everything. So uh, he says that he has dreamt about Siri as an adult, 
Like, he sees her as grown. She's not a little girl anymore. And he thinks he's in love with her. And as I read this part, I went, uh, what? What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, for me, I, I don't picture him as being very young. When I read this, I picture him kind of almost in his late 20s. So yeah. when that happened, I'm like, oh, you you too, huh? Oh, okay. And Geralt's kind of like, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> yeah, we're going to table this discussion. Yeah, we, we got stuff to do, and I'm kind of just pretending he didn't say that. Don't, don't you feel like he just kind of miraculously recovered also from having basically being scalped? It was like, oh, he's a very strong guy. He got over it really quickly. Yeah, just, I was like, oh, well, that's nice. Dude, bobby pins, just pin it back. You're good. Yeah. Does uh, your scalp reattach itself? or You know what would have been great to have at that point was a, uh, a barber surgeon. I don't understand why Geralt needed them to leave. It, it seems like Regis is the type of person that uh, you want to keep around all the time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, Regis is waiting for them. And he said, Anguilem told me everything. Uh, they've crossed into Toussaint. And uh, as soon as they did, the her pursuers gave up. And they're looking for a druid named Flamanica. Flamanica. Flaminica is how he pronounced it. Flaminica. Okay, so here's what it is. Uh, I'm trying to remember the scene. Regis says there's someone in a cave that wants to talk to Geralt, right? Yeah. And he must go unarmed. This totally reminded me of Luke going to the cave on <laughs> Yes, definitely. Me too. So Geralt does so reluctantly. He has no idea what's in there. And this scene was really bizarre and very interesting. It was. When he first enters the cave, there are bones everywhere. So it's like, okay, many people have died here or been dragged in here. And then he starts hearing voices of creatures and little things trying to bite him on the feet and the, the legs. And uh, they're like, witcha! What, what are they saying? Like, you're not welcome. Stupid witcher. Yes, stupid witcher. I think it's hilarious that they talk. I would like. I haven't heard yeah. Peter Kenny's part when he in this part. Oh, it was great. Yeah, this whole part was awesome. He, the the different voices that he did. Yeah, it, it was very ominous and weird. And and I I love how the idea that that he was like they basically weren't used to talking to humans, so you could tell it was coming from a voice that wasn't used to talking. Or from right. a that wasn't used to talking. And that they all know he's a witcher as soon as they see him, and they don't like him. Oh, and, no. Well, yeah, they're calling him a murderer and everything. And I love there's a little one who keeps, like, biting at his foot, and finally he's just, like, <laughs> yeah. kicks at it. And they're like, oh, he kicked him. Did you see he kicked him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this thing called a knocker comes out of the darkness, and he punches Geralt. I, I love that we got the description also about the knocker before how it could basically be bribed away with like strong brandy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's you know? he said it smelled of vodka. Yeah, that's what it was. And Geralt assumes like, okay, this is this is how I die, right? <laughs> yeah. And they're all like getting all worked up, all the creatures in the dark, until they hear a voice telling them to stop and let him through. And that's where we meet an elf named Avalak. And I thought this play, this part was very descriptive and really interesting. It was interesting, yeah. He's painting a purple bison on the wall, like a, you know, cave painting. And it even looks, you know, Geralt makes the point of like, this looks like an ancient painting on the wall that he's doing. And he explains that when humans see this stuff, they're fascinated by it. And they are like, we need to preserve this. 
And that's how they hide their elven uh, things behind it. Yeah, it's basically a giant magical door, right? Right. So all of their um, ancient kind of art and uh, statues and all this stuff is hidden back there. And it's preserved because us dumb humans are like, ooh, look at this painting. We can't ever let anything happen to this. Yeah. Which makes me think, is that really what it is? That's what's really going on, yeah. Yeah. Those caves in France. Uh, yeah. We got we to gotta get over there with a jackhammer, Jason. Yeah. No, you don't understand. There's elven art back here. Arrest <laughs> yeah. these men. Up. So uh, when he reveals what he's hiding to Geralt, like even Geralt is like, whoa, like he's in awe. It kind of talks like these elves kind of frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And he shows him this one statue of a woman. He says, this is Laura Doran, a human elf that birthed a half-human child. And Ciri is related to her. This is the elder blood, right? Yeah. And I love that he keeps talking about prophecy. And even now, Geralt's like, eh, I don't really believe in that stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, it's It's interesting also the way he talks about even his party in the prophecy and i immediately believed him you know he was saying that you're basically going to lose everybody who's in, in your party and you know i i don't want to believe that at neither all neither do i i want i want i and so hopefully Geralt's right that that this guy is kind of full of crap but well, he even it, says, it really fact, makes me scared he says in fact one of them may be dying right now there's a one point where he uh, gives Geralt these crystals that he reluctantly cuz he wants to show him something but he doesn't see Siri. He sees that his friends are in danger. And he's like, I've got to go. And he's trying to tell him how important Siri's destiny is. But, you know, Geralt doesn't believe in that bullshit. Like, basically, he's saying, yeah, yeah, that may be your destiny, but that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. It doesn't yeah. mean we have to follow destiny. Give me a break with this crap. And I'm wondering, like, there's a reason we're following Geralt through all of these stories. And is it because he's going to learn that Destiny's real or we're going to learn that Geralt's right, that it's a bunch of bullshit? Nothing can define what you're meant to be. Only you can. Yeah, I don't I don't really know where it's going. I mean, like I've said, every time I've I've had some sort of preconceived notion as to where this is going, it's usually wrong. So I'm not even going to attempt to guess. I, I mean, I just it, it was very ominous, though, because we've, we've kind of fallen in love with these characters and don't want any irreparable harm to come to them but now I'm just kind of like okay well when's the first one going to die yes. <laughs> basically just protect my dandelion <laughs> yeah exactly he's so delicate please don't hurt him well he uh, when he senses they're in danger Avalak summons a knocker and it's the same one that punched him he said only a knocker could get there in time your horse couldn't get there I loved the bit where he's riding on the knocker oh yeah yeah exactly and when it, he uh, it, a... it made me feel like at the end of the never-ending story when uh, <laughs> Sebastian takes off on Falkoros, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. all excited. Well, Even I though love this that time Carol was actually terrified. The knocker reeks of vodka. <laughs> yeah. And he has and to he actually on. turns out to be a pretty awesome guy. Yeah, the knocker is like super fast and Geralt is just holding on for dear life. And they arrive on the edge of uh, Merkvid. And the knocker tells Geralt that the mist that they see before them isn't a natural mist. 
And he also apologizes for punching him in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty sweet dude, actually. You know what? You're all right, Witcher. You're all right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's funny is sometimes when we're reading, when you and I are in the act of reading the books and we haven't talked to each other for a while, sometimes I'll just send you a quote of something. And I sent you pawn my word, and I don't know if you knew what the hell I meant by that. No, I, I, I kind of forgot about that. It didn't when, stand out to me. Well, when Geralt reaches the the pilgrims, you know, the people they were with, they're dead. Yeah. The, and Geralt approaches and starts cutting down bandits. Like, one of them's playing a fiddle, and he sneaks up on him, and he kills him. And there are even more bandits, and he finds an armored knight oh that's right yes the red the red checkered knight and he he keeps saying upon my word and i'm like i forgot about that and i was like does that mean upon my word like what the hell i believe so and he can't get his helmet off right yeah they have him on the ground and they're just pounding on his shield and Geralt comes up and he uh rescues him basically and the knight introduces himself as the checkered knight (laughs) Yeah. And so they join forces and they're like killing off bandits. And they finally, they see where all the smoke is coming from. And it's a small settlement being burned to the ground. And uh, I write here that Red Checker Knight repeatedly says, pawn my word. (laughs) (laughs) Geralt faces down the bandits and a crossbow bolt catches Geralt in the ear. And the Witcher cuts him down. Later, when Mila finds him, she says, your ear is gone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, I'm like, did an earlobe get cut off, or is his whole freaking ear gone? Yeah, so now he's got, uh, he's minus one ear, and has got a bum knee. Uh, Siri better be worth it, you know? Yeah, and I was thinking, he's got long hair. It could cover up that missing ear there, right? Yeah, he'll grow <laughs> it back. Oh, yeah, they have mages and stuff. Yennefer could grow him a new ear. Yeah, she'll grow him a new ear. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, there's a part where a bandit approaches Geralt, and Geralt makes note of his stance and his movement. And he's like, this guy is good with a sword, and my knee's killing me. I don't know if I can actually defeat this guy. And the bandit sneezes and that's when Geralt uh, cuts him down he finds his opening as the guy's like (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny yeah it was very random I was glad the bandit had allergies that's true yeah he must have been allergic to the knocker so this cavalry of knights arrive they think Milva and Geralt are bandits but he's like no 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 and then the checker knight says he is a man of honor and I love they're like uh who are you? And and he's just like, you know, I don't like to tell anyone, you know, I'm kind of like, I forget what he says exactly, but it's pretty funny. He says he's a knight errant, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Knight errant. And I have no coat of arms or whatever. And they're like, Oh, okay. So the knights are friendly and Anguilim and Dandelion show up and the knights remember Dandelion, the uh, known as the Viscount Julian. And they tell him that Duchess Henrietta would be delighted to see him. But he's like, oh, no, 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 no. He starts freaking out. The Duke, he wanted me dead last time he saw me. And they're like, the Duke has died. And it's just the uh, Duchess Henrietta now. And he's like, really? Well, yeah, it was so funny because he was basically panicked before before he finds out because he knows it's like certain death for him. But then once he finds out he's dead, he's like, oh, great. 
So Dandelion wants to head back to Beauclair Palace, where it'll be safe for them. But Geralt and Anguilam, they want to go after Nightingale and Shiru, because wouldn't you want to kill those guys? <laughs> yeah, definitely. This time, uh, Milva goes with them. And it's funny, as they're riding towards the direction, a bandit comes running after at them, and they're ready to fight him. But he doesn't even look at him. He runs past them. And all of a sudden, the ground starts shaking. And they're like, what the hell's going on? And a giant tree is attacking. And their horses kick them off because uh, they're so scared. And their horses run away. And they're just kind of standing there. And Geralt's like, run! But it's too late because uh, it scoops them up in its roots. And it's also holding other bandits. Like, it's got all sorts of other people, like, in its roots, too. And the tree is so fast, it's kind of unnerving. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it starts squeezing them to death, right? Yeah, Geralt, for the first time ever, is terrified. And uh, Anguilem has soiled herself. And, <laughs> yeah. And Milva is passed out. <laughs> So when they reach the village, Geralt sees a wicker cage and there are people inside of it. In fact, Nightingale and Shiru are in there. And he's like, oh, they're going to set them on fire. They really are going to set them on fire. And I think even the the druids say that we would never do that, but everyone expects us to. So we're going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, we're just going to give everybody what they want. <laughs> yeah. And so he starts calling out for Flaminica. And he says he's a friend of Regis. And so they, like, set them free. The tree releases them. He needs to help Milva, and uh, the druid says, we're going to set the them on fire. But he's like, please, please don't. I need to talk to these men. And they're like, I'm sorry, but this is just the way it has to be. So they set them on fire, and uh, Shiru and Nightingale, they weren't nice guys. Well, and, and Geralt is basically begging them to, to not do it, at least let him interrogate them. And they're like, nope, sorry, we're yeah. going to burn him. And Geralt for, realizes, like, uh, my medallion was in there, but it doesn't matter anymore because I'm no longer a witcher. Yeah, that that made me... I, I felt sad about that, you know? And I know that this is his destiny and this, you know, he, he's not going to be a witcher anymore. And maybe he'll end up going back to it or whatever. But the loss of the medallion really did seem like... A, a break from the past. Yeah, a part of his life is over. Because I guess he hasn't been a witcher for a while now. But I, I was always expecting, and I'm sure it still could happen with, uh, you know, all of the, the witchers at Kaer Morin coming and helping him. But maybe we're not even going to get that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm wondering what happened to those guys. What they're up Remember to? we were talking about Ard all over the battlefield and everything <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like that? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I still want that scene. Because, you know, a Witcher is supposed to be neutral and not partaking in any of this, and he's totally not neutral anymore. He's no, getting involved in not. all sorts of... So now we come upon what I like to call the Kovir chapter. Dykstra is visiting... And I was like, okay, what, what, what is going on here? He's a, okay, let me break it down because I didn't, it took me a while to realize what's going on. Uh, okay, Dykstra is visiting King Tyson and his wife, okay? He's essentially there to ask for money for the war effort because right now they're in a nice truce with Nilfgaard, Redania is, right? But they know that Nilfgaard, it's only a matter of time before they're like, hey, actually, <laughs> we're taking over, you know? Yeah. So they want to be able to 
get more men and they want to be able to battle uh, Nilfgaard and fight them off. And there's kind of a little history here about Kovir. Kovir is like a neutral kingdom. Uh, they're a rich mining kingdom contributing to lands of gold, salt, and glass. And they talk about the history of Rad King Radavir tried to tax them. And they were like, no, I don't think so. And then Radon... Well, and- I, I like how he, he basically thought it was this tiny little village. And it turns out it was a giant city. Yeah. And Radania and Cadwin came there in force. But Kovir fought them off because... The way that they pay their soldiers is their soldiers uh, are rich, basically, and they're fighting uh-huh. for their own land and everything they own. So they came out in droves and they defeated them. And so ever since then, Kovir has had an agreement. They don't give them taxes, right? They don't pay Redania tax. Oh no, they don't. Well, and he was saying, you know, we've never, uh, we've never had your help on anything and yet now you think that you uh, we need to be your vassal and they're like no yeah and so uh he pretty much turns dykstra down at first but then afterwards he's like you know well and i think that was the difficulty of this book is or of this chapter in, in that it was hard to follow it's told from several different points of view right it's told from dykstra's point of view and from the king's point of view and then the king's grandson in way in the future playing on the floor his point of view you know it was it was definitely a little hard to follow i could see why it took so long to get through well that's an interesting thing also uh tyson king tyson's wife tyson gets information from vautier's mistress cantarella from the Nilfgaardian sorceress uh, a seer so that's where she's delivering their message to because they know what's going on and Tyson keeps having dreams about Siri marrying Tancred his son right yeah and that's actually been implanted in his head to have those dreams by his wife and so like is everybody manipulating everybody here I really think so yeah it's um and, and the wife is doing it, it, it turns out that the son is basically you know he's kind of a, an idiot yeah really they, he, he's out there he's, he's kind of like outpouring and and getting drunk and just living the good life basically and has no concern about being king really but she uh you know it's it, it, like i said it's it's a there's a lot going on and there uh tyson uh basically says that they will fund them. They will give them the money in secret. It'll look like it didn't come from them, though. Yeah, but that came after we get the whole part about her talking and, and him getting wisdom from the good book or whatever. Yeah. And doesn't he he tells Dykstra that he genuinely likes him, but watch out one day an assassin will come for you or something? Well, yeah, he re- he really respects him. He, he even says, you know, I, 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 I like you because you're a horse and but you're a genuine horse, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and like, I know that you're doing all this stuff, not out of your personal gain and you're killing your reputation, um, right. in doing so, but you don't really care. You're, you're looking after the, the whole thing, but you do kind of want to step it back a little bit in terms of the amount of torture you're inflicting on people because oh, you're yeah. going to get a, re- you're getting a horrible reputation and they're going to eventually take it out on you. That is true. Yeah. I remember that. So after that, we finally, these books, they really make us wait for some Yennefer information, don't they? Yeah, they do. The last book, it was like three quarters of away in the book. 
before we got well, Yennefer. Well, I remember in... you, you even texted me in this one. You're like, is Yennefer even in this book? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really wondered that. And finally yeah. we find her in Skellig. You're like, maybe she is dead. Yeah. I mean, we... Ever since... I forget which book it was. Was it Time of Contempt? They set up that Kraken Crate, or as I like to call him, Kraken Crate. Kraken Crate, yeah. He swore to Calanthe that he would never fail her again after her daughter died and that he'd always be there for her or Siri. He made a pledge. So I was like, oh, okay, he's going to come into the story later on. He's going to help them somehow. So Yennefer's there ready to cash in that promise. And as soon as he sees her, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I've heard all about you, Turncoat, working with mm-hmm. Vilgefortz and the Mage Rebellions on Thaned. I thought it was cool that they called it that, the Mage Rebellions. Yeah. And first he says, I'm going to turn you over to Novigrad as soon as I can and be rid of you. And she's like, no, you're going to listen to me. First of all, I'm here to help Siri, and you promised you would help her, and so you're going to help me. And he's just like, well, oh. I, I love how he basically he broke it down about what he was going to do and how she was captured, and, and they were going to shoot. Uh, you know, they don't have any mages anymore, but he's got the best archers like ready to shoot her at any time. And she's like, I'm not getting on that boat. And he's like, Oh, you're not? And he's just like, No, I'm not going anywhere. And and then she invokes the oath that he did. It was, it was awesome. And he's just like, Oh. Okay. I guess you're not going anywhere. Well, uh, how can I help? <laughs> and it's funny because he, he's, he's so stern with her and, and harsh with her at first. And then once it turns out that she invokes the oath, now he's basically trying to get into her pants. Yeah. He's like, apparently they had a moment in the past. Yeah. And uh, she's like, that's and he, not. he initially says, he's like, you know, we're going to let uh, bygones be bygones. And then she keeps having to use his same line over and over again on him. Yeah. She's like, that's not happening, dude. And I like that uh, he's like, they have all this incredible seafood there, but she's like, no, I'll take a steak. (laughs) Yeah. You don't eat lobster? Come on. I love the part where he talks about he remembers Siri as being a strange child. She was really competitive with the boys. Mm -hmm. And in fact, his son once hurt himself competing with Siri. And uh, Siri helped read to him as he was mending back to health. And in fact, Siri and his son, was his name Yalmar or something? Yeah, I think it was Yalmar. They had a, a they had a flirtation when they were young and they kind of said that they wanted to marry. And of course, Calanthe, when she heard that, she was like, keep that boy away from my daughter. <laughs> I, I almost want to keep a running tally of who has people uh, more smitten with them. If it's Siri or Geralt. Yes. Because it, it seems like there are so, just as many people wanting to marry Siri as there are, you know, wanting to be with Geralt. Yeah, and those same people all are quick to believe Yennefer is a turncoat, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's just because of her attitude. The way she comes off, they're like, oh, yeah, I can see it. She's evil. You know? Yeah, she does seem evil, but she's not. But even to me, when when we found out the whole thing with Vilgefortz in the last book, even I was like, well, is she doing this? You know, because there is something definitely untrustworthy about Yennefer. Remember what I said? I was like, no way. Like, I just. Yeah, you're you're right. You you called it. Because she thinks, uh, I truly do think she thinks of Siri as her daughter. Yeah, definitely. Well, I was kind of like, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me that she would do that either. But like I said, 
usually what I think about in these books is wrong, so you know, I, I can't really trust my my judgment. Well, what's interesting is Yen needs a massive diamond because she wants to construct a telecommunication device. She wants to build a smartphone. <laughs> she does. Or a with FaceTime. Satellite conference. So they tell, sail to Hinder's Fall to the Temple of Modron, Freya, or something. I've written these things down. Priestess, I think it was a Mudrin Freya. Mudrin Freya, okay. Priestess Sigdrifa. <laughs> That's good. You got it. You're, she you're meets with Yennefer at the statue of Modrin Freya. And the statue has a giant diamond. And, you know, Yennefer's like, oh, I need that. And they're like, uh, you're not getting that. That's our, that's who we pray to, you know? Yeah. Well, I like how the priestess was, uh, definitely on Yennefer's side. She, she really, they really, she really admired her because of what Yennefer had done on the dock for a pregnant woman, even yeah. after she had been hit in the head with an oar. Yeah. Um, she saw the woman was in labor and, uh, Yennefer, without thinking, went to help her and calm her. And uh, she says that she remembered Siri. And she, uh, I guess she liked her and she wants Yen to join her in prayer. And I think she's like, uh, no. <laughs> no, thanks. She's like, no, I need you to join me in prayer. And she goes into this kind of neat trance thing where... At first, I was like, is she communicating with the statue or the woman? I was kind of confused there. But I guess with their, whoever they pray to. She was communicating with the priestess, right? Yeah. The priestess wants to know who Yennefer is and who she is deep down, like in her heart. Who is well, she? I don't know if that was the priestess. I think it was the, she thought she was having a hallucination of the. The statue. The, the goddess. The goddess. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I think Yennefer is a better person than even Yennefer realizes, I think, what this yeah. was all about. Yennefer thinks of herself a certain way, but I think this kind of looked into her and saw that you're willing to do the right thing. You want to help Siri out of love, and everybody else wants Siri for other reasons, and it doesn't have anything to do with love. It's manipulating her and using her for power, etc., and Yennefer's intentions are good. Yeah, we get the first glimpse into Yennefer's past before she became oh, a, that's uh, right. a wizard, too. Yeah, of her horrible uh, upbringing, her father. <laughs> yeah, her dad, who deserved to die. You know what's funny is I read that before I saw on the show. I think it's neat because so much of Yennefer's backstory is just kind of hinted at. And I think yeah. it's neat for a show to actually get to show us stuff that is just barely hinted at, you know? Yeah, I agree. So she awakens and the jewel is sitting at her feet, the statue's feet, right? And it's like, hey, I can use it. Well, yeah, because before she was just wanting to take it. And they were like, no, you can't take it. It's like part of the statue. And right. then the, it just ends up being on the ground after she talks to the goddess. So that means she can have it. She constructs the lab and stuff, so we know time is passing here. And she's talking with Crack about uh, Crack and Craig. She talks with him about <laughs> the Sedna Abyss and how Pavetta died and how he's always been suspicious of that and how it wasn't natural circumstances. And yeah. I was like, ooh, this is interesting because we've always thought it was a little sketchy, you know, just hearing that Siri's parents died in a shipwreck like... 
okay, like, give me some proof here. But it turns out it was this mysterious Sedna abyss where their bodies were never found. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's almost like our Bermuda Triangle, right? It's just a place that people avoid because ships go down all the time there. And then we get this kind of, uh, oh, and I write, Crack makes a few passes at Yen, and he's turned (laughs) in. Uh, yeah, he should Tris- turn the corner on their relationship, right? Yeah, and this is a different ty- timeline because Tris Marigold it shows up after the fact, asking about Yen, hearing. Well, how Yen long? How long do you think Yennefer was on there then? I don't know, but a while, because I think since we know what happens to her uh, ship later, and we'll get to that, but Tris shows up talking to crack and crate and she asks what happened again and she assumes that vilgefort has siri and you know some people assume siri was dead like Geralt, but she thinks that vilgefort has her these people don't know shit do they <laughs> no they don't they really don't for people so cocky and they're know-it-alls they don't know anything so cut back to present is what i think it is siri and visigoda are fishing for eels and they're talking about the two teleportation towers, the Tower of the Gulls, which he went through on Thaned, and then the Tower of Swallows, or Ziriel. Some claim that it didn't exist. It was at the land of the 100 lakes. Visigoda theorized that if Ciri went through the Tower of Swallows, it would take her back to Thaned. Visigoda opens up an old scroll and that references Avalak in the land of 100 lakes which I thought was very cool that it yeah. referenced the same elf that we've met uh, on scale you know what I actually as you're bringing it up I didn't even realize that yeah to tell you the truth uh, wow okay that that kind of uh, apparently means... Avalak is really old yeah if there's like an old ancient scroll mentioning him <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah I didn't even really pick up on that on Skella again takes two long ships and she asks for volunteers. And I believe is Kraken Crate's son okay? Because I think he goes, doesn't he? Yeah, he does go. And we don't there's no more mention of him, I don't think. Well, it, I, I thought it mentioned that she was um at one point she asked for volunteers uh, from guys that she knew that were go- basically going to die and, and no he families. wanted to volunteer but she wouldn't let him. Yeah, okay. So first she mess she thinks she may not make it back from this trip to the Sedna Abyss. So she messages Triss and Philippa, who are in bed together. What? What? What yeah, is yeah. going on? Come on, Triss. What? She's I'm just, just lonely. Ex- I'm experimenting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, Philippa, really? Because Philippa really pisses me off here because she does, yeah. She really wants her name cleared because she wants to know, like, if she dies, she wants Geralt and Siri to know that she was not a traitor. Yeah. And Philippa's like, I'm sorry, it fits the narrative better for us if you are a traitor, so no. Yeah, and, awful. And she's like, their uh, sisterhood of mages, they want Siri for their own gain, just like everybody mm-hmm. else wants Siri for their own gain. And Trist is just kind of like sitting there, kind of like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Trist She's like, please forgive me, me. Like, pick a better side, Trist. I know. Anyway, we know that Philippa is, sucks after that. She so, does, yeah. Cut to Crack and Crate, and one longship returned, but the other one didn't. 
In fact, it describes their ship. They hit a great storm, a magnificent storm. The ship was lifted from the sea, and it vanished into a black cloud. If I was cracking Crake, I would have been like, yeah, you're making that up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So as the last we see of Kraken Crate, he's contemplating a rescue mission. So I'm thinking breadcrumbs for next book, maybe? Yeah, probably. Oh, we also, we didn't mention the, the point of when, before when Kraken Crate was talking to Yennefer about how he uh, knew that Siri was not dead because of the, um, yeah. the sea. The like, apparently every time one of the the ladies from the elder blood died the sea would like yeah throw this horrible storm and he's, how that had never happened i like that said part when pavetta died it was like hell on earth in the in the waters there right it was like yeah this great storm and so when siri supposedly dies just like no she didn't because nothing happened here and they would have so back to joanna selborne also known as kenna and uh, she's now in, back in her cell. And it's kind of funny. It kind of talks about her and her sister kind of beat up on this guy who's their cellmate. <laughs> yeah. This poor guy. And he sleeps with a chair to fight them off if he has to, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And uh, she recalls the time that she approached Stefan Skellen and told him that they had a spy in their midst. And he's like, oh, and she's like, he's invisible. And they gave this spy the pancake treatment. <laughs> I thought this part was hilarious. So basically, they're like, okay, hold. Okay, let's start talking in the room. And now! And they throw, like, pancake batter or powder or flour. And he's just like, oh, the jig is up. They found him. And it turns out it's Rience. Yeah, guy he's back. We haven't seen Rient since the time of contempt. Am I right? No, no we, we haven't. Well, and he we was such him. a big, uh, ominous, awful character in those. And yeah. now he's just kind of this sniveling, awful, kind of just pathetic person now. Right. I forgot we saw him earlier in this book as a hologram, basically. <laughs> yeah. A projection. But what's funny is he's basically got Vilgefortz on the... On his cell phone in his pocket. <laughs> He's got him on speakerphone in his pocket. He does. Which I think is hilarious. And they're going to torture him by burning his feet with a hot poker. And I was like, dude, man, I don't want to see this. Yeah. And uh, Joanna's trying to read his mind. And just as it's about to reveal something, Bonhart is approaching with Siri. So, it cuts to Siri back at Visakota's, and she's rummaging through his old clothes, because she's planning on leaving. And Visagoda has arrived from the town, and he says that he thinks her pursuers are close, and he tells her about these four men that are basically uh, harassing the town, and they've even killed people living there. And uh, she's like, they sound like monsters, perfect for a witcher girl, right? And she mm -hmm. basically says she wants to go there and rid them of monsters. And Visigoth is pleading with her not to. And they kind of get in an argument here about, like, she yeah, wants... Yeah, it gets really heated and nasty. Yeah, she wants blood. He just wants to sit there like a, a scaredy cat. I, you know, I'm not being that harsh saying that, but... <laughs> Yeah, they're like a coward in a swamp for the rest of his life. He sat there doing nothing, not participating in life. Basically, she basically calls him a big loser. And yeah, 
uh, she doesn't really mean that. So Bonhart drags Siri to Skellen, and Rience is now freed, and uh, they have a private meeting where he realized the reason he didn't turn Siri in or kill her is because he realized her worth. Like he's like, I could get a lot for this girl, right? She's a fierce yeah. fighter. She's important to people. So he wants uh, he wants some retirement money, man. Rience pulls out a silver box where we can hear Vilgefortz, and he offers Bonhart 2,000 florins, which is apparently retirement money, right? Yeah. Vilgefortz tells Skellen that he has many spies, and they can help him. And he's like, ooh. So Skellen tasks Joanna with trying to read Siri's mind, which turns out to be a terrible idea, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely not a great idea at all. I love this bit where Joanna goes feeling around in her mind, and Siri can feel it, and she pushes yeah. back, and it like knocks Joanna on her ass. Those abilities, the the strange kind of powers that Siri has, have been awakened by that mind probe, basically. Yeah, it said that she she basically forced the the power back onto her. Yeah, is she fully magic now, or was it just during this time? I don't know because it was weird. Basically, remember Falka offered her everything, you know, with the fire, and she was like, "You yeah. can have it all." You know, we could take the world, and she was like, "No, I renounce everything," and her power just all went away. Yeah, and it's interesting that she like then went by the name Falka, even though she didn't have the power that Falka promised her. And yeah. now that she's getting the power back, she doesn't want to be known as Falka anymore. And this is really cool. She basically does psionic blast, isn't she? Like mind Pretty blasting them, and their like noses are bleeding. Like Joanna is down for the count, like knocked out. Yeah. And uh, a guard comes over. Remember, I think. That's one thing Vilgefortz tells Skellen. You have spies in your midst. And a guard comes and sets Siri free. She's like, I'm here to help you. And that's one of the spies that we don't get to know very well, right? <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. And there's another, like, with uh, Joanna, there's also Chloe, I think, a character named Chloe. And they're all trying to kill Siri. Like, one tries to, like, shoot her with a crossbow, but then they get shot by the spy. And then uh, as Barnhart comes out and he wants to chase after Siri as she hops on Kelfie, but the spy jumps on him. He unfortunately kills that spy. We'll never know anything more about the spy, but... Uh, <laughs> no. Skellen, Maybe there's a prequel. He hits Siri in the face with an Orion Star. Now, here's one thing I... Is an Orion Star the same thing Code Ringer had? Like a shuriken? It was, yeah. It was the, the exact same thing. Okay, because I was like, is it something like on the head of a like a like a mace or it, it's no, like, like a, a morning throwing... star? No, like... uh, yeah, it was it was a ninja star basically. Because it's a pretty bad cut. And I'm wondering, like, did it just ride down her face, cutting? Yeah, it, it went all the way up. I guess I don't know. That's pretty messed up. But she, even though she was not delirious, she held on to Kelpie with all of her might. And I love they're like. That wall's seven feet tall. She don't make It'll it. never make it. What yeah. a horse. And the horse jumps over the seven foot wall and they're just like, I can't believe my eyes. Yeah. Aren't they're they like, like the, uh, the, the guy who catches her gets the horse. It's like, you're not going to catch that horse. Yeah, look, they're like, what a mare. You know, can you believe that horse? They're like, all just like, wow, that's the best horse I've ever seen. 
But and then it talks about like for weeks, like even Boreas Mun, who was their tracker, couldn't track her. There were rumors of the wild hunt erasing her tracks. Siri had simply vanished. That's what Joanna says. So as Siri's prepping to leave, she takes goose grease and soot from the fireplace and puts it around her eyes, like these dark circles in her eyes. And she thanks Visigoda, and she heads off to the land of 100 Lakes. But not before she stops in, I believe this place is called Dundare. Was that it? Dun- Dundara, I think is Dundara. how he, he pronounced it. And they're the bandits who, the guys who work for Stefan Skellen, they've been there way too long waiting for, uh, looking for Siri. And and we get the, the stupid jerk's voice again that, yeah. you know, that we, that appears in Witcher Bingo. He's like, oh, it's, it's all Hallow's Eve, the Sam Hain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and what they're talking about, how they're going to like, you know, basically go and have their way with the daughter of the blacksmith. Oh, and they're God, like, well, should we yeah. make him watch like they do? And, you know, it, you know, it's, yeah, it was, uh, their intentions they, were really bad. Yeah. They got what was coming to them. Yeah. They have a beggar. They're like, uh, first they want to run the beggar off. They're like, no, no, have him tell us a scary tale. And so he's like, a night like this, <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> yeah. basically telling them of impending doom on a night like this is when the dead come to life. And they're like, this is boring. Let's go rape the blacksmith's daughter. Basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. And so the guy goes out to uh, goes outside, I guess, to fetch their horses or something. I forget why he goes out there, but. He sees that Falka, uh, the uh, the girl on the horse, has arrived, and he's like, "She's here!" At first, he thinks she's dead, like she's come back to life. Because aren't they debating that? There's no way that girl's still alive. She's yeah. dead. She's just bone somewhere. Something ate her remains. That's why they can't find her. So when mm-hmm. she turns up, that guy's like, "It's her ghost." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she comes in there, and they're like. Oh, you fell right into our trap. You didn't know we were here, did you? And she goes, no, I knew you were here, dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) She came in there to kill them, and that's exactly what she does. The description of, like, how you can hear is just they're like, like, as they're dying, you know, choking on their own blood and stuff. It's just like, damn. Yeah. And then the beggar. She's back at it. The beggar tells Siri that whoever you meet will not avoid death. And she's just like, okay, yeah, okay. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's what I'm aiming for. So let's go to the land of 100 lakes. By the way, you know, this, you know, this, the, can I just say the finish of this book is like, mwah, magnificent. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Definitely. But before we do, we, we, uh, we have to cut back to Visigata, who heard the banshee. Yeah, the banshee. In the background. Uh, what's funny is the way it's spelled in the book is like B-A-N space apostrophe S-H-E-A-A. Well, he, he pronounced it Bayan-She, but yeah. I just thought that that was a pronunciation of that that I had never heard of before. And yeah. so it, it was actually spelled that way. That's interesting. So as I was looking, I was like Banshee. And I go, oh, Banshee. Okay. That's a Banshee. Okay. Now I understand. What is it? The cry of a banshee means someone will die? Yeah. 
and Visigota realizes that, hey, that's me because I have someone. And so that's what I was kind of wondering. I was like, all, all before we get all those things about somebody uh, like peering into the window and everything, I was like, well, maybe was that the banshee who was peering into the window? You know, I, I don't know. I think it meant, is meant to be ominous, like something will happen here. Something is foreboding. And eventually what it is is Visigota has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. And it's sad because I really liked him and he wanted... I did too. I wanted him and, and Rageous to, you know, like smart off to each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, he like was a, a good smart guy. Off. All he cared about was Siri's well-being. No matter what she told him, you know, telling her that she was like on the run and, you know, she was a criminal and all this stuff. Like he didn't care. He didn't judge her. Yeah, no, not at all. All he did was help her. So when it cuts to the land of 100 lakes... I love, there's like a description of a fisherman. He's out there, he's been out there all day ice fishing, and he notices a rider, and he's like, why the hell is there someone on a horse over here? Like, it's freezing cold, and the person who is Siri asks for directions, and he points her the way, and he rides home, and as he's riding home, he passes by 14 riders, which includes Bonhart, Skellen, Rience, with Vilgefortz on the phone basically. He's on Bluetooth, right? <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is the men that, I guess they'd woken up, they'd had nightmares about drowning. <laughs> and they're all kind of unnerved about it. Like, I dreamt I'm gonna die, and I'm gonna drown. Now let's go walk on this well, let's go walk lake. On the lake. It's like, maybe something's trying to tell you something. And I love this whole part where they're like cursing because they've got to get off their horses. And first they want to separate. And then like all of Stefan Skellen's men, don't they like, you know, we're leaving. And they're like, he's well, like, they're not sure they're, because Stefan Skellen, they don't know who they're being loyal to at this point. Yeah. They, they think they're being loyal to him, but they're like, well, he's not loyal to the Empire anymore. They're just very confused. Yeah. They're like, why am I here? And by yeah. the way, those guys who left, smart, right? Yeah, definitely. And we, and we hear, like, we get before we, we kind of passed over it, Tawny Owl's reasoning for doing this is that he wanted to overthrow the Empire to create a democracy. Yes, that's hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. It so his, his intentions are good, but it comes at the price of, you know, betray or, or capturing Siri and having her tortured, which is not good. That kind of reminded me of the end of Game of Thrones when they're trying to figure out who will be rule, who will be the king, and who says it. It's like, what about a democracy? We let the people decide. And they're all like, ah, <laughs> and they all laugh. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that. And so Stefan Skellen, who's a horrible person, he wants to create democracy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, okay. Maybe he's just sick of taking orders. That's what it is. Yeah. Quickly. Well, and I, I also, just before we move on, I, I love how that was how Vilgefortz got him over to his side. And he was like, hey, you know, you can be the head of, of the secret police and you can usher in a democracy. So it seems like Vilgefortz isn't even doing this because he wants to rule over everyone. I think mm -hmm. he just wants to have the most power, like magical power, I guess. Right. Or he's just completely lying. Because real quick, before we get to the end... We get more and more bit with Yennefer, where she awakens. She's being kicked by a bunch of men. She's greeted by Rience and Vilgefortz. Vilgefortz is laughing, ah, ha, 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 or whatever. But we realize now this is way in the past. 
Yes. Because Rance is here now, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And they put her in a torture chair. And remember, Rance says, I'm going to use these hands to torture you. These hands or something like that. He's like, okay, we get it, dude. But (laughs) she's bound. He's so pathetic. It's funny because in the first book, he was like the big, bad, awful guy. Yeah. And, And it was like I was saying a lot in these books. In the first book, it's usually... The, the the bad guy is just kind of uh, a glimpse of what's like to come, you know, and that's really how this one played out as well. Yeah, he's basically just a lackey, you know. He is, yeah. And, you know, he's got a burn on his face from Yennefer, but it turns out Vilgefortz is burnt now on his face because oh, he's really messed up. When Siri went through the portal, it exploded in his face, basically. And he's like, Bleh! And they bound Yennefer at her ankles and wrists in a chair, and they stick needles into her neck and her hands and tubes up her nose. And this is where Vilgefort says that he needs Ciri's placenta. Yeah, that's all he needs. And I'm like, um, gross. But basically, he... He describes by hurting Yennefer, a loved one of Siri will help him track Siri, right? Yeah. All she has to do is focus on her. It reminded me of like Empire Strikes Back by them torturing Han Solo and Leia and Chewie or whatever would make Luke sense that his friends are in danger kind of a thing. Yeah. That's what I thought. That makes sense. And she's resisting. In fact, a lot of time passes here, how they've been torturing her, trying to get to her, show us where Siri is, but all she can think of is just think of Geralt instead. That's like (laughs) her defense. That's how they know where Geralt is, not because Yennefer is spying for them. It's because that's the only way she could keep them from finding Siri. Yeah. But another thing that I forgot to bring up is that uh, Rience has lost contact with Vilgefortz on his little box. And he's like, hello, are you there? Oh no, this is not good. I can't reach Vilgefortz. So cut back to the lake and the men, their horses are sliding on the ice. They have to get off their horses and walk. And they're like, I've tracked her footprints. She walked this way. And so they're all like spread out men and it's super foggy. And they're like, "Uh, we're on her now. She'll, She'll show up in the fog any moment now. We're close to her. Isn't it funny how all these men start getting more and more terrified? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And they're just like, uh, she could be anywhere, you know. Uh, yeah, also, they just panic. They start <laughs> they're moving this, onto the ice. You start hearing the shh, shh, yeah. shh. And they're like, what's that scraping sound? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they realize. This whole, this whole part, it's like you were saying, it was, it was uh, delicious. It was yes. pretty awesome. Because now Siri has turned the tables on him, and she's basically like, she's like a horror movie killer at this point. Yeah. And there are men in the fog just like going, Whoa! and they're like, who is that? And then like, <laughs> over on the other side, like, screaming. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we we had heard before that when she was on the Isle of Skellige that she was a, an amazing skater, and right. so she. She straps the skates back on and is, yeah, it's awesome. She can do pirouettes now on ice, man, on ice. And what's funny is before all this happens, Bonhart's like, "Forget this, I'm gonna go get my horse and ride around the lake." And they're like, "No, Bonhart," and he's like, "Ah, oh, let him go." So he leaves. 
So meanwhile, Stefan Skillen and Rianz and them, they realize she's skating around and cutting them down one by one. And I love where he's, he calls, he's like, Rianz, you turd, do something. <laughs> so he's like, yeah. all right, I'm going to summon some magic. And he summons a bolt of lightning that cracks the ice. <laughs> Such they, an idiot. They all fall in the water and they're like screaming for help. Rianz basically... He pleads with Siri, please, you want to know where Yennefer is? I'll tell you where she is. But she doesn't take the bait, and she ice skates over his fingers, severing his fingers off. Oh, it was great. And he sinks into the water. Yes, that guy is such an That's, asshole. And what I love... I mean, when we, when we first saw him in the... In the uh... The first book, the first novel, right? It, we we wanted that to happen, and we yes. finally get it. And it's just, it is everything we had really wanted to have happen to him. It was great. Remember, the first thing he does is he tortures Dandelion. So we yeah, knew that's that we right. wanted him dead for a long time. Oh, yeah. And what's funny is he sinks to the, it describes him dead at the bottom of the lake. And there's the box floating down with Vilgefortz going, Hello? <laughs> Really? Nice there? <laughs> yeah. Hello. I love that. It must be in a bad service area. Yeah. The caller cannot be reached. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please check the number and dial again, Vilgaforts. <laughs> so uh, he's dead, and Stefan Skellen falls in the water, but she spares his life. Would you have done that? No, I don't think so. I mean... I assumed, like, if I left him, he's going to just freeze to death, you know? Yeah, that's true. But that's never how it plays out in these types of books. But she even tells... Okay, we'll get to that. But anyway, she gets to the... She's taking care of all those guys. As uh, Barnhart is rounding the lake, he sees Siri And he's like, I've got you now, girl! And he's, like, riding. She's like, oh, shit. So she's running, and the, the fog parts, and there's no tower... And he's laughing. He's like, there's no tower. Where are you going to go now? And she keeps going. But the tower appears before her, which I thought was cool. And yeah. then like these. I love the description as well. Isn't it like, I was like, is it the wild hunt or just these ghosts of uh, knights and stuff? I assumed it was the wild hunt. Yeah. Go to bar him from. But he ignores them. He's like, I'm not afraid of you. You know, he, I'm just going to go past it. There are illusions conjured by the girl. And he keeps going, but she enters the tower and then vanishes. And he's just like, he basically gives a, no. <laughs> yeah. But he's like talking all the shit. He's like, I own you. You're mine. You know? And I was just like, oh, dude, I, you, you need to die. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be very enjoyable. But when she enters the tower and she's ascending the tower... Uh, she sees different doorways, I guess, imagery. And one of them was this way back in Blood of Elves when Yennefer was showing Siri magic. There was a door that she says you must never open. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I almost I felt like that. it was describing that scene to us where Siri was on the other side of that door. Am I making that up? or? I don't know. I, I didn't really have that connection myself, but it, it makes sense. I thought that was really cool. But Visigota visits her. And she's like, Visigota, you're here. And he's like, I'm dead. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I'm dead. Sadly, I'm dead. She's like, I did it, Visigota. I killed the men, but I let Stefan Skellen go. You know, I showed mercy. Like, hey. 
he's like proud of her. Yeah, it was very touching. You know, when he was, uh, didn't she call him like an old, oh, was it her old raven or something like that? Yeah, he disappears and she goes through the the doorway or whatever. And we see two unicorns drinking from a lake and they're not afraid of her. They just look up at her and they're like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, go back to. And what is he playing? Is he playing a, uh, I don't remember the instrument. We hear music. I don't remember either. Was it a flute? Yeah, let's say it's a flute. <laughs> okay, that, that works. An electric guitar. And Avalak looks up at her and he says, what kept you? And that's the end of the book. Like I was saying before, th- this book, in terms of getting through it, was not the easiest book. It, it, it's not really my favorite book in the in the series. Um, yeah. But that ending, that whole like last hour or so of listening was one of the best parts of the entire series. It really was. Siri going from kind of being victimized to seizing her own destiny and, you know, taking life by the horns, doing what she needed to do and not fearing those men anymore. She basically yeah. made fools out of them. She humiliated them. And I love that. And it shows what a badass she is. But also we learn that her Visigota, I can't believe I forgot to say this, tells her what her abilities are, which is essentially, can she control time and space? She can control time, yeah. And I was like... Which I'm like, well, that would have been great to know when I was getting my friend's head sawed off. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool revelation. And it makes me really excited for the Lady of the Lake to see what happens there. Because one thing is, you know, we know Yennefer, she's captured right now. Geralt, he's somewhere with the Druids where he no longer is a witcher, apparently. Neither one of them have any idea what has happened with Ciri. So I just can't wait till they see her again and see what she has become, you know? Yeah. And and like we were saying, I think we both kind of assumed that this story was going to be Geralt and Yennefer saving Ciri. But it's really turning out kind of to be the opposite. She's saving herself. And do you almost feel like that now it's time? Remember, she said she actually sees uh, Yennefer captured and she goes, don't worry, mummy, I'm coming for you. Yeah. yeah. And so it's really series going to save everybody else. Exactly. And that's awesome because I didn't know that. And it was so funny. I just think back to what Yennefer said, like, girl, he'll just get turned around and involved in something and then forget why he was there in the first place and i was like oh my god that really is Geralt." <laughs> yeah it really is it was i it, it's um i just i can't believe we're finally here to the last book of yeah. the of the uh you know the the main timeline the anthology it's, um, you know and this book is is considerably longer than all the other ones so that will be interesting to see how we tackle that one But there's just so much. I I, I look and see that it's like 20 hours long. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to wrap all this up, (laughs) you know, in that that time frame. And what I need to do and what I should have learned a long time ago is to start keeping notes after each chapter I read instead of trying to remember everything afterwards. (laughs) I get get it. Definitely. I'm just wondering, do do you think we'll have a a Torqua appearance? It's it's kind of our last chance. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. I mean, we didn't. I don't get... think there will be, but I, I hope so. One thing about this book: no Scoia'tael, no elves type stuff. 
uh, no. part of the and really, war. really no, um, no dwarves, which is kind of my favorite. Yeah, some of my favorite stuff in the book. Like, I mean, like had... what was your impression of this book in terms of reading it? Okay, I was going to say we did have the dwarf in the mine that they questioned. That's true, and we also had Avalak the elf. I enjoyed a lot of this book. There are parts that I had trouble getting through. The Kovir chapter with Dykstra I had trouble with. Afterwards, now that I realize what's going on, I think it, it's I understand it better now. And I think Baptism of Fire is just going to be my favorite for a while. I think so, yeah. Uh, Tower of Swallows had moments of that. Uh, they quickly separate Geralt from his Hansa. And, uh, you know, there's parts where he's with just K here, or there's parts where he's with Anguilim and K here, but he's not with Regis and Milva. And there's times where they're all together, but I loved Baptism of Fire, how they're all together all the time, you know? And, yeah. but I love, I think it's magic when they're all together. I think it's Yeah, fantastic. exactly. And that, that's the, the whole thing, uh, for me. I guess I came away from this book a little bit disappointed that we didn't get more of that. Because the parts that we had with Siri were just so, it's just such a downer, you know. And I yeah. know it's important to the story, but the parts that I love in the in the series are the more lighthearted, fun parts, right. you know. A lot of dark and, and so, stuff happens to Siri, and it's hard to take. The stuff with her and and Visigota are fantastic. I think they're it great is very definitely fantastic. And and it's not me knocking the book because I know all of this is incredibly necessary towards her. Her, her story is just in terms of sheer enjoyment of reading it's probably lowest on the list for me yeah but like i said that last chapter was some of the best stuff in the entire series there's times where sapkowski has to do some world building and sometimes yeah. that interests me way less than character interaction and i have trouble exactly with it and it's been that way through all the books, honestly. When he'll start to describe a city or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'm following you for a bit. When are we getting back to our characters? But I realize it's necessary, but at the same time, it's not what I get excited about when I'm reading the stories, you know? Exactly. And it was also, I remember I texted you, I was like, does he hate Siri? Like, does yeah. he have some problem with her? Because, man, he's putting her through the ringer. Siri gets abused, and it's time for her to do the abusing next. Exactly. she had her moment with Falca and taking vengeance upon the world, and she denied that. So it'll be cool to see how she uses her power, but her way. You know? Well, I'm also really interested to see how the relationship between her and Geralt will be now. You know, it was this father daughter relationship but she's really kind of progressed past that and yeah. so i'm that's the thing i'm looking forward to the most of the next book is to see that interaction between the two and i it's it's not as if they can just sit there and pick up where they left off because she's changed yeah. so much she's basically independent now where they don't need to mother or father her or baby her she's like well she kind of like uh went through a lot of shit and she fought her way out so who are we to tell her what time to be home at night? You know <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what when uh, Avalak was talking, he was saying he was at, Geralt was asking him if he would find Siri, and he was like, "Yes, but you'll immediately lose her again." And I'm wondering if that's what he's referring to. Like she'll be there, but then she's like, "Well, I must be on my way. I have things to do." And they're like, "But Siri," and she's like, "But if we've been looking for you everywhere." Yeah, like well, she's got. I got things to do. I like how she referred to herself as, "I'm a Witcher girl." <laughs> yeah, me too. 
So as she was cutting those men down, calling them monsters, she then kind of felt trepidation. Like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, maybe not. Maybe Visigoda's right. Like, I'm not meant to just simply be a witcher. Because even like Geralt and what he is as a witcher, like... How could he ever go back to that simple life after this? Well, he never even really seemed happy doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, he seemed miserable in the 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 two uh, the first two books. He was not happy at all, and so yeah, he's not going to be able to go back to that at all. Yeah, exactly. So I did enjoy the book very much, uh, but Baptism of Fire still remains at the top. For yeah, me. definitely. And uh, I'm loving this. I can't believe we've gotten this far in the book series. Ross, thank you so much I, for doing this with me, because uh, I always enjoy talking about the books with you. Yeah, I, I enjoy it too, I, and I'm enjoying all of the uh, the people that are listening. I never really imagined we'd get that many listeners, so we really appreciate you guys downloading every one of these. Yes, we're getting awesome downloads. We've got a lot of great reviews on iTunes. We've got like 16 ratings on there, which is awesome. I just want to keep it going. Like, guys, if you want to visit witcherbookclub.etlandfill.com, you can find that's where the episodes are. But also you can find us on iTunes and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and all that. But we'd love to hear what you think, especially because we're on the final book of the anthology next, The Lady of the Lake. I'd love to get some voicemails of what you guys have thought about the saga so far. Send them to nimpodcast at gmail.com. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had some voicemails to play? That would be. I would love to hear what people are saying about it. Because I'm wondering if other people... I know I bring this up a lot, but if other people get as confused as I do. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there are moments. Mainly, I'm like, okay, I think this is how you pronounce this, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have the luxury of Peter Kinney. But it, it's funny because you, you say uh, you say K here, and then in the book, he pronounces it Kair. But then on the show, I think they pronounced it K here. So I'm like, I, now I'm confused. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know who to believe at this point. I'm just going yeah, with your pronunciation. I, come up, I pronounce everything my own way now, by now. Like, okay, I own this. It's K here. It's yeah. Anguilem. It's Milva. It's Dandelion. It's Geralt. It's Crack and Crate. <laughs> Very it's, good. It's Rience. You know, before I was, like, trying to, like, Rience, I think I was just making it more difficult than it had to be. I think so. Avalak and all of that. Uh... I'm having a great time. I love this world. And here's the one thing I promised myself, Ross. When I finish all these books, when we're done with all the book shows, I'm going to play The Witcher video game. Oh, really? Because then I'll like go, hey, I know that. I know those people. You know, I would never hey, that's play That's not the way he pronounces it on the audiobook. What are you doing? <laughs> There's actually three games, but the first one is pretty old and the second one's kind of dated, you know, so I think I might just start with The Witcher 3. Yeah. But you never know. Well, it's, it's, it's really exciting to see the amount of publicity and excitement that people have for the, the, the world now that the show is there. And, yeah, and that's, the show now made Geralt of Rivia a household name, you know. Exactly. And before the Netflix show, you know, it, The Witcher is popular, but now it's like everyone's like toss a coin to your Witcher. Everyone knows Dandelion as Yaskir. And uh, it's... I still can't do it. 
Yeah, he's Dandelion. He's it's Dandelion. Sorry, every dandelion. time they say his name, I'm like, yeah, it's Dandelion. I still love the fact that these men find his memoirs in a cave. They think it's going to be riches inside, and they just see its papers, and they kind of just toss it aside. <laughs> Throw it into the fire. I know. We, we didn't really talk about that. I'm happy you brought it up, because we're getting all these quotes from, from uh, you know, 50 years of poetry and everything, um, or half a century of poetry, but I'm like, did nobody ever get the chance to read it? I know, and who were the two skeletons there? Exactly. I love it. It's so great. Love it too. There's just, the characters, just, you love them. Yeah, you really do, and and, and that's why I said this whole, this book was so difficult for me, is that, you know, I, I do love these characters, and uh, it's you know I know it's a necessary part of any story to have them go through these awful things, but it uh, you know it's a little hard to listen to. Yeah, especially you know we leave the book with Yennefer basically being tortured every being day. Being tortured exactly. It's like oh okay we'll see you in the next book Yennefer. Sorry about that. Hopefully you don't die. Yeah, it sucks. But I'm really looking forward to Siri rescuing her. Me too. Awesome. So uh, guys. That's it. See you with the next book, Lady of the Lake. Thank you for joining us on the ETL Witcher Book Club. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye, Ross. Bye. Here's some fist tech. Oh, it's <laughs> past I already the fist have tech, my own. man. <laughs> Just going to bury my nose in a giant pile of fish it's such a weird name for a drug it was i thought the way he was pronouncing it i thought he was saying fish stick yeah like that's kind of the way he pronounced it so i had a whole other idea aside from cocaine in my mind as to what it was um did did you look it up like yeah i did i I had to i had to look up how he actually spelled it because i was like is it really called fish stick like because that's (laughs) kind of how he pronounced it that's right fish tech you know what's funny you know i realized that because i've listened to some of the I haven't listened to the whole book on audio. I just skipped it to different chapters because I want to hear how wow. it says things. And I'm like, I wouldn't be able to understand some of the things just by listening to it. You know, it's difficult. I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's hard to get in, a clear that, picture. It is. Yeah. Like that's really why the second listen is kind of really important. And even on this one, I, I, it was, it was a, a difficult book to follow. And I think a lot of it had to do with, like we said, the holidays yeah. And, and just everything over the last two months, it's been, it's kind of the busiest time of year for me because of the kids' birthdays and stuff. So it was really yeah. difficult to, um, to focus on this one. I promised but, myself read, I read at least an hour a day. And like this book, I was going gaps of like a week at a time and stuff. Yeah. It's just hard to stay and into. I, I don't know what, what that was. I, I, I don't think there was a lot different about this book compared to the other ones i guess maybe it just wasn't quite as enjoyable you know yeah i think also you know reading this many books in a row maybe we just needed a break like let's let's I take think the holidays so. yeah. off like maybe well, like as soon as new year's was over it's like okay now let's start reading the book or something like well, that and and i also had a difficult time and we'll, i'm sure we can talk about this a little bit when we do the show one it was very like i've never watched a book or read a book series so close to watching the show. Yeah. And it was difficult for me to divorce the two in my mind, you mm-hmm. know, oh, like yeah, yeah. The, the, enti- 
the entire time I spent spent it comparing the two, which I didn't really want to do. And and it wasn't comparing like one was superior to the other. I just couldn't separate the two in my mind, you know? Yeah, there there's one part in the show where I did a what like that and Heather was like, What? And I go, Never mind, don't worry about it. But it's when Vilgafort sits down with with Yennefer and he goes, She's like, Who the hell are you? And he goes, I'm Vilgafort's of Redavine or whatever and she's and she's like, I don't know who that is and I was just like, What? Yeah. Like that's yeah, Vilgafort's their whole their whole take on his character we'll talk about it more when we do the show show, but their their whole take on his character kind of has me scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, well, I I think I figured it out. Is that whole fight he had with K here was bullshit? Oh yeah, it had it definitely had to be bull because because uh, when that was happening, I was gonna text you like, uh, Vilgaforts gets take you know, and K here fight each other, and and it's close. Please, that's not yeah. happening. But like yeah. the Vilgaforts that defeats Geralt would not lose to K here in a sword fight. Exactly. And also, I was a little bit irritated with their their take on the Doppler. I'm like, that's not like, yeah. Dudu is one of the best characters in the in the. Um... They took some liberties there, and I think I understand why. And oh, I definitely understand why. I just was kind of sad that we didn't get Dudu. Yeah, and I was like, if this turns out to be Dudu, man, <laughs> exactly, he's I gone down a pissed. dark path. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I am watching this show. Hashtag not my doo-doo. Yeah. This isn't my doo-doo, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now this is podcasting. This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate Valley. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.